In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. At one point in my life, at least, I thought that being able to think, being able to take facts and put them in ordered logical relationships with one another would be a useful skill in the real world. Engaged in that pursuit by way of pursuing a degree in philosophy, I found myself in the class of Dr. Tyrone Lai, a distinguished cryptographer or code breaker whose task was to teach undergraduates like me the joys of logic. And logic is a joy if you stick with it. He once said, and I quote, it stuck with me, this quote, life is about choosing the path you will go on. Sometimes we choose the wrong path. This is common knowledge, but what is little understood and less acted upon is this, that when you realize that you are on the wrong path, the first thing you've got to do right away is go back, back to where you got on the wrong path. And when you get there, go on the other path. Go back, go back to the crisis point, the place of decision, the place where the paths diverge, and take the other path. Simple enough, of course, but out of the classroom and in the world, what do we do? Even if we get off the path and find ourselves lost, especially if we get lost, when we find we are going in the wrong direction or the right direction to the wrong place or we don't even know anymore. If you're me, we often tend to keep going we barrel through, we push through hoping against hope that the wrong path will turn into the right path if we just press forward for long enough and hard enough. And sometimes it does, sometimes it does. But more often than not, we reach the point of no return, the place where there is no going back and there is no going forward. We run out of time, or we run out of path, or we run out of clues as to what is the path. And we're stuck, stuck in our tracks. Where is the point of no return, typically? Where we, in our pride, have circumscribed ourselves with a circle, drawn a line in the sand, and said, here I stand. No, I've never forgotten his words, except when I have found myself again and again at the same point, pushing onwards, let the fall, facts fall where they may, until someone kindly directs me to go back. Today's texts take all this as their point of departure. They are understanding that the path is a representative, representation rather, of the search for truth. And the truth is not just a destination, it is the path itself. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and we all do all the time, if you wander off the path or cause anyone else to wander off the path, the right path, 
the path to truth. If you cause anyone to hold a wrong view, to be mistaken, if you mislead anyone, if you lead anyone astray down a rabbit trail or worse, then your only hope is to lead them back, to turn, to return, to repent. If you do that, know that, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If the worst thing you can do, inadvertently even, is deceive, to make what is not seem like it is, and what is seem like it is not, like nothing, like a little thing when it's a big thing, then the best thing you can do is let the cool light of truth arrest the process which has everyone in its thrall. You have to disenchant, break the spell, lower the temperature, turn around, and follow the light humbly back to where you started. Otherwise, you are putting a millstone around the neck of everyone who listens to you and your own, a great weight that will drag you to the bottom, even as you thrash with all your might simply to stay afloat, let alone make it to shore. That sometimes takes courage, especially if you are the one who has done wrong. It's hard to admit a mistake in today's world in which, as Dean Allen Jones has said, and I quote, everything is permitted, but nothing is forgiven. Everything today is permitted, so long as you are able to get away with it. But there will be no mercy if you do not and you are caught, if you can't bluster or beg or bark your way out of it. Might makes right. If you weaken even for a moment, watch out. Truth versus power? No. Truth and power make perfect allies when they are aligned but they interact in a way that is truly diabolical when they are at odds, when truth and power are pointing in different directions. And so often to get at the truth, we must surrender, no, we must trust. We must give up our own power and entrust our direction, our arrival in safety at our destination to those who are wiser and better. The weak must trust the strong. In the Bible, it is often the weak who must confront the strong, however, in the search for truth. So in our reading from Esther, this hero of the Old Testament is a heroine, a woman, already a problem if the arena is that of public truth. For a woman's word counts for little back then, at least in a legal context. A woman who is consort of a king, mind you, might be expected to have royal privileges and exercise a few prerogatives. But in this case, she has no right even to be heard. There are two parts to this process. First, you must speak. Second, you must be heard. And to be heard, you must be believed. You have to bring the evidence in, and then the evidence has to be tested and found truthful and taken as truth and believed. But in this case, she has no right even to be heard. To speak first without first being spoken to was a criminal offense in her time. 
in her situation. Esther takes her life in her hands then to approach the king and demand a hearing with the news that she must divulge in order to save her people from certain death. This also means losing her cover and revealing her own Jewish identity. It also means hoping against hope that if she is heard, her word will prevail, that she will believe as she testifies over and against the word of the king's most trusted associate, Haman, the perpetrator of the plot to kill her people, who has been caught up in toxic rivalry for power and influence with her stepfather, Mordecai. The, the king hears her out, takes her side, takes up her cause, condemns Haman, and extends his protection to her and her people is cause for celebration to this day. And it's an example of once again grace working through the most difficult situations. If we are Jewish, we celebrate the festival of Purim, which happens about now, Purim standing for lots, the casting or drawing of lots being the means by which Haman decided when he would launch his plot against Esther and her people. Even if we are not Jewish, we celebrate Esther's faithfulness and above all, her courage her chutzpah, her trust in God. As we look over history too, we see other examples of those who come forward, taking their courage in their hands to offer their truth and pray that it will be accepted. Even today, women are coming forward on different sides of the situation we face and offering their truth, hoping that their truth will prevail. How will we know? Time will tell. But truth ultimately is what this is all about. And you cannot test truth that you have not heard. I look to the day when we all will stand together in a shared circle. And when men and women are freed from the imbalances which predispose one another to listen to the truth we offer. That day comes and goes. I'd like to believe we are getting closer. But between now and that day, when that day comes for good, and may it come for good this side of glory, there will be more suffering before the bigger lesson is learned. Who do we trust? At what cost? To whom are we inclined, predisposed to listen? Where do we go looking for truth? And where do we turn away when truth is inconvenient? We must learn not to try to squeeze our aspirations for truth with a capital T into the confines of the possibilities that this world presents. And this is the bigger lesson. If we cast all our lots, all our hopes, into what this world offers for truth, for justice, we are in for a great deal of suffering. And we're missing the point. We're missing the big truth to which we are called. 
We know that if we stand against the world for that big truth, we will suffer. But we know also if we try to follow the way of the world and bury that big truth, we will find that we have lost our way home, maybe for good. Home to where our heart is, where we truly belong. Our citizenship there grants us all the freedom which this world cannot give, the freedom to seek the truth and to proclaim it. When we lose our way and get caught up, when this world is too much with us late and soon, we always have the choice of turning, turning back through repentance, through forgiveness, through the courage to come back whenever we lose heart or lose our way back into his embrace, which is wide enough to gather all his people, all his people to himself. Amen. <laughs>